Hey, it's Erin and Jeff. This week, we're digging the latest chapter of our gym night book study, Power With versus Power Over. We chat with one of our favorite teachers from Hamilton, Val Capel, and then we chat a little bit about our student teaching experiences and wonder what was yours like. Welcome to Campfire. So I got a new water bottle. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Does it still alert you when it's time to take a drink of water? No, I've no. de-escalated my need for plugged in smart water bottles because I feel like they were annoying and glitchy. Gotcha. I buy new water bottles all the time. I'm not the greatest hydration artist. I don't know how great you are. I think it takes a lot of will <laughs> and <laughs> drinking water has been a health goal of mine. And the only way that I see it consistently helping is switching up the water bottle and making me excited to drink the water. And so with the smart water bottle, I thought, oh, this would be good because it'll alert me and it'll force me to do it. And then I just, Felt like it was nagging me after a while. It was an unhealthy relationship that I was having with my water bottle. And now I got this Coleman water bottle that's like super insulated. Nice. But but then has like a plastic. Um, I, I'm, I'm Are you like, shaking it around? I feel like I yeah, can hear I'm it. Yeah, pointing, I'm pointing to it like you're like you're looking <laughs> at it like like this where you drink out of is plastic, but the rest of it is insulated like a Coleman uh, thermos is. And it keeps ice water cold for like at least a whole day. So I have no excuse not to drink my water in this circumstance. So far it's working because I'm like, it's like refreshing to have ice cold water all the time without having to pour it all the time. So sounds like you're becoming more of a hydration artist. Yeah. The extent of my hydration artistry is that I draw four check boxes on my to-do list every day. And that just means like take on four bottles of water. Really? And I find if I can get two down before lunch, the rest of the day is smooth sailing. But sometimes I opt for more coffee then. Now, are you good at evenly pacing or are you like a, oh, it's been an hour and a half. I need to slam 10 ounces of water. Okay. So it depends if I have a straw or no straw. If I have a straw pacing even pacing evenly is that can happen. No straw, that's like a slam your water bottle situation. That's probably why I despise water bottles with straws. Just mm. because I I can't do it. You just, just uh, you go for the slam the water technique. Yeah. And this water bottle is one where you press a button and it opens up a hatch and then it's just down the hatch. Yep. (laughs) (sighs) All right. And now for something completely different. Can you dig it? Here's a shovel. Can you dig it, fool? Can you dig it? What are we digging this week? Yes. We so we have been, I feel like feel like I need to set some context here. Um in September, Kelly, one of our coworkers and I got to attend um, the teaching learning coaching conference. And um, 
I feel like it's it's fair to say that not many conferences you go to, you feel like you have completely transformed your mindset afterwards. And that's really how I felt after this one and Kelly did too. And so um, we both had the opportunity to learn alongside Jim Knight, who is, I feel like the best way to say it is an instructional coaching guru. And so we've started to dive into a lot of his books. And the most recent one that we're reading is called High Impact Instruction. And so this past week, Jeff, you kind of jumped in on, oops, there's the book. Um, You kind of jumped in on our book study. And the chapter that we were exploring is, is chapter 11 of High Impact Instruction. And it's called Power With, Not Power Over. And I think it was just a really fascinating, um, it was a fascinating read about how we can build community in our classroom. And one of the quotes that I just want to share is um, on one of the pages, he says, teachers can use their inherent power to leave their mark on the lives of their students. The mark can be profoundly positive or it can wound students for life. And so within the chapter, Jim just really digs into, I feel like I'm on a first name basis with him. Maybe that's um, a little too presumptive of me, but. Um, You've met him, right? Yes, I mean, you call him Jim. Yes, like in passing. Um, but he really is digging into like, how do we establish more community with our students? And if we continue to push into like this power over, we're constantly seeking power over our students then our students are more likely to rebel, right? Like they want to be able to make choices. I feel like it's probably especially true of middle and high school students where they're in this adolescence phase of like, I want autonomy over the decisions that I make. And so when we continue to push and um, become more of a dictator in our classrooms, we're just, we're making it so that our students are frustrated. um, We're more frustrated with them and it just doesn't work. So, you know what it reminds me of, Jeff? And this is something that I feel like you know a little bit more about, but on my way home from a training I did, or I was facilitating the other day, I listened to Cult of Pedagogy, Jennifer Gonzalez. She did a podcast about restorative justice. And I feel like there's a lot of ties between the two of those as well. Yeah. Like, like just kind of digging into getting to know our students better, figuring out what a natural consequence is, as opposed to just like, as teachers, we need to be in control of all of the time. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I wonder what some of the natural conditions, maybe they're not so much natural, but what are the conditions that have kind of created a or could create a power over situation where teachers aren't cognizant of that, that they're assuming that role. Right. Cause it yeah. seems to me that a power with relationship is one of intentionality. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not, maybe, maybe there's uh, natural, certain people have natural inclinations for developing power with relationships versus power over relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I think of, Teaching, for example, I think of maybe evaluations, standards, and not really, those aren't really like methods, they're, they're measurements, 
their requirements. And I, w- I wonder what else if we if we parse it out, like because I think mindfulness is a is an appropriate starting point for this mm-hmm. conversation, yeah, don't you think? Definitely. I mean, just reading that chapter, there were times. Um, thinking back to when I was in the classroom, there were times where I did not utilize power with, with all of my students. I feel like on the whole, that was something that I really worked towards, but there were those students that were like, oh my gosh, so frustrating. And I resorted to power over. And when I think back on it, it didn't work very well, if at all, um, and, and so then I was just kind of stuck in this vicious cycle, I think more so with, with specific students than with my class as a whole. But reading that really made me think about how could I have done things differently and what would its impact have been? But I, I think you're right when you talk about like there's all these external measurements that feel like pressure or stressors for teachers to to work with all these students and it takes time to develop that power with community. Right. I agree with you. It takes time and understanding. I'm thinking another thing too, is when you're not really, when you don't really know that student or students, and especially when life experiences between you and your students are different. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in a situation where, I was, uh, I was teaching students where their life experience was drastically different than my own, and especially my mm-hmm. own childhood, right? I think the important thing is to not get into a comparing and like just acknowledging that it's different is a good starting point and trying to empathize with that everyone's, everyone's life mm-hmm. is difficult at times, right? And that we have different motivating factors and things come up. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, a teacher comes into the room with a bias towards wanting those students to learn because they sincerely want those, all the students to learn. And they have a bias towards those students excelling academically. And those are okay biases Mm -hmm. to have, right? But to assume that the model student should be one that comes in with that same mindset is uh, is potentially damaging. And I think that you put yourself into a position where you can be really frustrated and let your emotions guide you a little bit because of your disappointment in that situation. And, and I, I think being able to lead with empathy, pause and, and kind of put, it's very difficult, in, especially in today's climate. And, and I, don't, I don't know that it, it's ever going to ratchet down, right? Yeah. It's, teachers are scrutinized uh, more than they've ever been in history until we get to the next school year. And then that's the new right. scrutiny level, right? So it's just, I guess what I'm trying to communicate, and I don't know if I'm doing a great job of it, is that it's important to recognize that students have all sorts of different stuff going on in their lives. 
and we need to be mindful of teaching the whole student, not just the the standards and going on that journey with them, but also be mindful of our own baggage and our own frustrations. Yeah, no, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, right? That teachers have to be open to, to thinking about like, how can they do things differently too, which is scary because, you know, as an adult, you need to maintain some kind of some control over how the classroom is functioning and operating. But at the same time, when you've already empowered your students by like having them create group norms, when they create kind of the the expectations of here's what it looks like in our classroom and here's what it sounds like, and you provide choices and how they demonstrate their learning, I feel like you're less likely to get those students who rebel. You're more likely to get those students who can find something that they're interested and are willing to kind of keep moving and working with you. It seems silly because I, I, I was always about um, like classroom themes and, and classroom mantras and, and helping students to, I mean, we, we collaboratively develop that and everything. But it's it's much more about like them believing in you and their them believing that you trust them and them wanting to to come and be in that environment that you foster regardless of what the content is for the day because you know not to oversimplify it but they they like being around you and like learning alongside of you right rather than the the specific structure of your classroom and which I don't mean to throw out that there shouldn't be class rules and there there shouldn't be certain things of that nature, but um, it should be the, they, they crave the, uh, the world that you fostered for them much more than the rules that you've uh, helped, you, you've helped to at least co-author to, uh, to support them, right? So speaking of a teacher who I feel like definitely falls into that um, that category you're describing of kind of like creating this environment and climate for learning and, and having opportunities to make choices and who students really love to be in her classroom. We're so excited, um, to chat with Val Capel. Yeah. Val is a third grade teacher in Hamilton community schools and Hamilton has been one of our professional learning partners, uh, Michigan Virtual Partner District, for three school years. They've been engaging in blended learning training cohorts throughout that period of time, continuously having us back out to learn with their teachers. And early on, Val established herself as a leader amongst the group. She's continued to co-facilitate trainings take part in our Learn, Blend, Lead program. And I consider her the archetype of a lifelong learner. And we even get into that a little bit in our interview. Here's our interview with Val. All right. I am joined with Val. And it's it's Capel, right? You got it. Yes. 
I always second guess myself, but I've I've heard I've heard you say Miss um, Capel so many times that, and other <laughs> people say it so many times that I don't know why I doubt myself. But it's kind of funny with names. I think uh, such mm-hmm. a, such a sensitive thing, and I want to get it right. That you that get I, it. That I ended up not not getting it right by by second guessing myself. Being so sensitive. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, Val, how, how long have we known each other? Has it been two? Uh, my son is two and a half. Uh, so maybe a little bit more than two and a half years. I think so. Okay. Uh, when did you guys start working with Hamilton? It's that first like initial, you came in like on a January PD. And I know you guys were brand new to even Michigan virtual. And we were kind of one of your first pilots. And that was a January. Is that, has it been two or has it been maybe three Januarys ago or two Januarys, like two and a half years for sure, if not three? Yeah, I'm not be, sure. It could be three. So if it's, um, you know, if it's a January before that, it might be a full. Um, I think it's been three years plus. Full, full three years plus. I do. Yeah. I do. I think so. And yeah, it's an it's been great. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's been uh, um, it's it's been an ever changing um, yet yet consistent relationship. I really uh, um, uh, I I really appreciate um, you know you and 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 another handful of teachers that uh, have been able to um, uh, you know be a part of almost everything that we've done. And then um, you know your work with uh, with Learn Blend Lead. It's um, you know it's it's great to know you and and to be able to. Um, kind of lean on you as a, um, as a friend, but also a person that's kind of gone through our, uh, our trainings that, that, you know, we can get feedback from honest feedback and, and get better. So. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. This journey has been so amazing. I just, and I, I know I say it to you and the coaches, I probably not enough, but you know, every time I get to be with the Michigan virtual people, it is so rejuvenating and just an absolute joy. So thank you for all that you've done over these last three and a half years as well. It's been, it's been an extreme pleasure. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, we actually themed this podcast after day camp. And so it, it's called okay. the campfire podcast. And the first question that we like to ask guests are, um, did you ever go to summer camp as a kid? And if so, what was that like? <laughs> well, let's just say my first summer camp experience, I was, uh, let's see, a fifth grader and miserably homesick, miserably homesick. And I just remember um, like begging them to let me call my mom and would you come pick me up? And when it was all said and done and finally made it to the end of the week, it was like, yes, I did it. And then after that, I've been great. So <laughs> it was that it was just that initial, like, you can do this. You can be away from home for a week kind of deal. So that was my first camp experience. And after that, yeah, I'm all about it. It's super fun. <laughs> So, so the first camp experience was like, like a lot of homesickness. Uh, uh-huh. 
Yes. But the, the, from that point on, the, no homesickness or was it always something that? No, no, actually, um, after that, um, I did a middle school experience and then I had so much fun with that that I did an early high school experience and I had so much fun with that that I decided to do a camp counselor experience with middle schoolers. And yeah, it just was one of those um I can handle being away from home for a, a longer period of time. It's one of those growing experiences, I guess. And so I, it's one of those, even those kind of like defining shaping moments where it's like, you know what? I, I was scared to death. I plugged through, I did it. And like, yeah, I'm proud of myself kind of deal. So typical summer camp, like just uh, outdoor activities oh, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. We were actually just off of Lake Michigan, for those of you in the West Michigan area, Holland, Camp Geneva. It's a super amazing camp right on the coast of Lake Michigan. Lots of, you know, great activities, campfire experiences, um, spiritual experiences with, you know, uh, small breakout devotional groups, but also large group kinds of um, worship and those kinds of things. And yeah, it you know, all in all, it was, you know, I look back on it and I did have quite a bit of fun, but again, just that initial, ooh, yikes, what is this going to be like? So yeah, pretty typical camp experience, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. All my camp experiences as a kid were like, uh, like mostly basketball camps. And, oh, okay, and, sure. But I, I totally empathize with your initial experience with, uh, with being homesick. But I, I struggled mm -hmm. with I struggled with homesickness. Man, I th I think I still struggle with homesickness. No, uh, I, sure. I, I but you've got two little ones at home. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, I, I think over time, you know, as an adult, you you handle it better, and and you. Um, I have I have way more sense of adventure now than I I did then, and, and I even <laughs> think I don't think that adventure and. Um, you know, wanting to be in a familiar state aren't necessarily like uh, oil and water, right? Like, yeah. I, I think it's natural human human wants and needs, right? But I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So I visited uh, with you recently, and I, um, was it Emily that came with me? Uh, yeah, it was Emily. Emily. Yeah. Emily and I came out and we visited your classroom. And something that I really appreciated about that visit, um, you had a, uh, we, we were able to observe your students in a station rotation model and you had two, uh, you had two facilitated stations. And mm -hmm. one of the, um, uh, the other facilitated station was facilitated by a pre-service teacher. Is that correct? That is correct. Absolutely. I love those pre-service teachers. You know, in your pre-interview, you, you kind of talked about your work with Hope College and that collaboration with um, mentoring and, and uh, co-teaching with, uh, with pre-service teachers. I wonder if you could mm -hmm. talk a little bit about um, just that program, like just uh, how that's structured and sure. and, then, and then maybe a little bit about um, the opportunities that you've seen and taken advantage of uh, with that relationship. Um, I have been uh, working with Hope 
college specifically, oh gosh, I can't even tell you how long. It's probably been about 15 years just hosting their pre-service, um, pre-student teaching experience. And then Sarah actually is my 10th student teacher through Hope. Wow. And um, yeah, and it's just become a just a huge passion of mine to mentor and coach um, these young pre-service teachers. And in all honesty, I always talk about how... <laughs> In many ways, they give me the energy to keep going. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. Um, and then over the last, it's been seven years now, I've really developed a close collaboration with um, Professor Sue Brondike at Hope. And she is the um, pre-student teaching placement coordinator. And um, working with her, she she chooses where she wants to place her students. Whereas when it comes to the student teaching aspect, they hope doesn't have as much control over that. But Sue really wants to make sure that at least in this pre-student teaching ex experience, she knows that these students are placed with someone who's going to be excited to host them, work with them, coach them, and just know that they're going to be provided with a, a good experience. And so as a result of that, um, I host anywhere from usually three to six of those pre-student placements, pre-student teaching placements over the course of the year, um, usually two or three per semester. And then um, every year I would love to have a student teacher, but um, it's probably district mandated more like every other year. And it's just been a really um, great experience for not only me, and I hope the pre-service teacher, but it's just fantastic to have that extra person who is passionate about kids and passionate about teaching and learning. And um, we work together very much as a co-teaching, um, co-mentoring model that Hope College has put together that's pretty new and it really is a lot different than the traditional student teaching model. And um, that process just as a whole, I think has kind of fueled my passion for instructional coaching, um, as well as even, you know, it's awesome to be able to do some of the blended things with those um, pre-service teachers. You know, we think of that generation as knowing a lot about technology, but when it comes to utilizing technology as a learning tool, they really need a lot of guidance on that. So it's just been a really, um, a really great experience for me and my students in so many different ways. I'm, I'm interested in learning a little bit more, but you describe it as a, a co-teaching and co-mentoring yeah. relationship, right? And it seems to be that yep. that's hope's words or, or is that, is that your own? Hope? It is. And, What's that like for, for you and for, for teachers or for the pre-service teachers? Sure. Um, what Hope has done through the leadership of um, Sue Brondike, her actual PhD is through Michigan State, and her focus was um, co-mentoring and mentoring um, pre-service teachers. And then also working with their student teacher director, Nancy Cook, um, those two gals have put together a, 
a structured model in which they actually bring in all of the, or as many as are able, of the supervising teachers that are going to be working with their student teachers and train them in what this co-mentoring, co-teaching piece can look like and very in various models of co-teaching. So one of those models, for example, that you saw was the rotational model. So Sarah, my current student teacher, is working with a math group. I'm working with a math group. And then almost inevitably, we have some kind of a blended math group going. That's one of the models that they talk about. Another model that they discuss is really just like a total co-teaching experience where you are tag teaming a lesson together for either a small group or a whole group of students. And they just list several ways that you are really a co-teacher with that pre-service teacher rather than, um, you know, the kind of more traditional model where the student teacher comes in, I would gradually release responsibility for various subject areas to that student teacher. He or she would take over the classroom, blah, 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 and then we'd ease out. This model really focuses on making sure that we're co-teaching together Um, And of course, Sarah has to do things on her own, but at the same point in time, we really work on just a very um, intense collaboration and co-teaching experience. So the kids really see us as teachers together in the process. And um, it's just been a, a really great experience and even a twist on student teaching because with all of the pressures that classroom teachers have and school districts have and administrators have, you know, evaluation kinds of things. There are a lot of teachers who are nervous about bringing someone in and releasing control of their students to a a pre-service teacher. And this way, it's not that at all. It's I have someone there with me that I'm working with. We co-teach, we co-collaborate. And even though there's times she has to do it on her own, um, I'm much more involved in that process. That's awesome. No, that's 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 really cool. I, mean, I think the um, you know the integrity that that treats the pre-service teacher with is is mm-hmm. is, is incredible, um, and, and it's also um, uh, it, it's also fully taking advantage of a an experienced teacher like yourself. And uh, and um, you know. The, the modeling doesn't happen at one stage and then stops, right? The modeling is, is continual, but at the same time, you're, you're being fed by the opportunity to learn and grow by collaborating with, with another teacher, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and I say this all the time, I learn so much from every pre-service teacher that I am able to work with because they come in with, you know, their own perspectives, their own talents, their own gifts, but they also are, you know, up to date too on, okay, what is the newest best practice? And I can learn from them as well. So it's just, I've just been an experience that I really have invested in and just want to be able to continue as much as possible. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. Tell me about virtual courses for third graders. 
<laughs> so um, that's interesting that you ask. Um, what Hamilton is trying to do is we have a very large number of homeschool students that we began servicing basically through elective type courses. So they homeschool kids would come in for like PE or band or, you know, a project-based learning type of course and that kind of thing. And that's kind of how it initially began. Oh, guy, I don't even know. It's probably been five-ish years ago. That has grown to about 800 students, K-12, that we are servicing in that particular program. And a lot of those homeschool parents are now asking for additional virtual courses. And even at the elementary level, they want those core courses. They want a math course at third grade. They want a, you know, an English reading, writing course at third grade or second grade or even kindergarten. And so one of the things that um, our director of teaching and learning has kind of decided and come up with and brainstormed, of course, with some of our other administrators is what if we worked with a platform and had our own teachers draft these courses. And then if they so chose, they could be the teacher of record for these homeschool students. Or if it's like, you know what, you want to write the course and draft it and then let someone else manage those students, that would be up to us. So it's um, something that we've been asked to do on a voluntary basis and um, take a look at just writing some semester and year long courses that would be used as a tool within the district as far as teachers could definitely access those as a tool, but then as a more of a teaching and learning platform, definitely with the homeschool parents that we work with and their students. So uh, what have you been building it out of? I mean, is it built out of kickstand? I mean, uh, okay. yeah. it is. Can I say that? I don't know what I can yeah. say. Um, yeah, we are. Um, we've they've chosen to partner with kickstand, um, which originally came out of the KISD and they are their own separate entity as of now. Um, and through the course of the year, um, my third grade colleagues he, here at Hamilton Elementary in Hamilton have um, really worked to understand the program, figure out how to facilitate it, how to work these courses. Um, and Kickstand has some um, of these standards and courses developed at a kind of a, I would say, a minimal level. And we've been tasked to kind of take what Kickstand has tweak it, add to it, do what we need to do to make it more of a Hamilton course. And the whole kind of impetus behind this is that then kids will be able to come out of Hamilton, even if they were homeschooled with a Hamilton education. And that's kind of been the kind of driving force behind that. So yes, we are working mm -hmm. with Kickstand as our kind of initial um, platform and using some of the things they've already developed. Um, they've We have some of those and then there's other areas where there's nothing. So it's a matter of just kind of starting from scratch, depending on what you're looking at. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. I um, Where would you... Um how would you describe where you're at in the in the process of 
bringing on really the the courses you said that are already developed that 500 or so students are in or are kind of on the they're they're elective subjects they're uh, they're kind of um i don't want to say i mean areas yeah. of non-consumption might not be a good uh a good analogy <laughs> but what i mean by that is like you know a, a kid's not going to really have a gym class um outside of mm-hmm. uh, outside of a right. traditional school right um but those core mm-hmm. area um uh, um you know, like a third grade curriculum as a, as a course. Um, that's, that's really interesting. How, how far along do you feel you're, you're, you're on that path? Well, uh, Michelle, Michelle Randall and I have kind of been tackling that together as a team. Initially, what we've done is go through what is already there in kickstand and um, lesson by lesson, viewing, looking at um, various websites. We like this. We don't like this. This link is no longer working. Just trying to kind of figure out some of those bugaboos and see what is actually there. Then from that, our next step is going to be to kind of take a look at Hamilton assessments and what needs to happen in order to get those kids to preparation for those Hamilton assessments and then start building in those pieces that are missing. And so that's the point where we're at. We've kind of looked at it and have said, okay, this is what we have. This is what is working. Now we're to the point where it's like, okay, it's time to start adding in and building what we need to build in in order to prepare the kids for that assessment piece when it comes to looking at actual Hamilton assessments. That's cool. So they really like the um, content development uh, um, is where you're at, course development really. And then pretty yeah. soon here you'll be shifting towards like the assessment side of the the content. Maybe it's like, like more first uh, instruction is where you've, uh, you've been devoting your effort so far. Yeah, right now we're, we are, yeah, we're starting with that that really that instructional yeah. component and making sure that what is currently there we like or don't like. And now let's add in those instructional pieces to best fit what is going to prepare the kids for where we need them to be. That's awesome. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Like my curiosity is peaked. That's why I'm asking where you're at in the process to, uh, to, um, to yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll definitely follow up, uh, later to, um, to, to see how, uh, how it goes. Um, you put down, an adventure yeah, it, it, um, I, I always appreciate, um, every time I go out to Hamilton and I talk with you guys, there's something else going on, right? There's something else that, that you're doing and, or, or you're further along. It's not to say that you like willy nilly pick up something and drop it and go and do something else. It's, it's always evolving would be a good way uh, describing it. You got it. Yep. Trying to do better that better and, and you know, I would say necessarily more, but just trying to, to do better and, and find those best practice pieces and continue to put them into play and see how we best can meet the needs of these learners we have out here. So definitely. You are setting me up so well because how I wanted to end this, um, you know, sometimes we just outright ask like what the hidden teacher talent is uh, of these teachers. But I I just want to read exactly what you you wrote. You put drive in quotations, which I I want to understand a little bit more about why it's quoted. Um, But drive and passion to keep learning and striving to always use current research based best 
practice in my instruction. Mm-hmm. I read that and I was like, yes, that that's about always, always pushing forward and always wanting more. But like, what are, what are, what are your mm-hmm. summer learning plans or what are, and what are, what are your, what are your growth goals for next year? Uh, that's always interesting because you know me well enough to know that I have them. Um, right now, in all honesty, where I'm at in just just my career and, and where I feel like I, my whole educational driving and striving is going is I love this virtual piece. I love the blended piece. I just, I get so excited about what's out there and, you know, what's new, but also what has worked, whether it's, you know, a good standby kind of thing and always tweaking that to best fit the needs of my learners when it's appropriate to use the technology. You know, we all know that technology for the sake of technology isn't necessarily the way to go, but I'm always striving to find that balance and that fit, knowing that to prepare my kiddos for 21st century technology is a huge part of their lives. And I want them to also see it as a learning tool. So there's that part of it. But the second thing I'm, I'm really focusing and actually doing a lot of my reading about now, you, you guys have me hooked on gym night. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid along with the rest of you um, and some of those instructional, instructional coaching pieces. And whether it's I continue to just work with pre-student teachers right here in my classroom or I end up moving into some instructional type of role. Um, those are really the things that I'm just kind of seeing that my, my passion has kind of landed there. And that's where I am focusing my professional development for this summer. So it's always something new, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Hey, thanks so much, Val. I, 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 I um, you are, you are an asset to the, professional learning community. So the, the, I love that your passion has landed on that. Um, and, and thank you for taking your time out of the out of your day to, to talk with us or talk with me as it were. Aaron, Aaron's not feeling the greatest. Uh, so um, Say hi to I will, and she'll be on the rest of this podcast and she'll probably have her little bit to uh, her debrief uh, on, on what she said. So It'll add a little bit extra for for you to listen to as you're as you're going through this. But have a great rest of your week, great rest of your school year, and um, hopefully, hopefully, I see you this summer sometime. Uh, I would hope so. That'd be fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been great. And then. And then. So I'm interested. Um, unfortunately, you were not well. I know. I I completely missed talking to Val, but I appreciated you guys giving me a little shout out. Yeah. Well, of course. I knew even in that moment, giving you that shout out, that you were going to have some thoughts. So what, uh, what were so your big many. takeaways? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well... Obviously, um, I've interacted with Val a little bit too through a couple of different things um, in our work with them. But I think the thing that I keep coming back to with Val is that whenever I interact with her, she is just the most passionate and um, engaged and excited educator 
that maybe I've ever worked with. I don't know. Maybe not, maybe not like the most, but she is right up there with a lot of other amazing educators. And I just think that you can hear it when you hear her talking about things that she's interested in. When you ask her, like, what are your summer plans for learning? You know, she's already got things mapped out. She's figuring out what is it that I need to um, learn more about next and, and where do I need to focus my attention? And I just think that's such a perfect model for her students and, and for us too is this is what lifelong learners do. They don't stop because they've been teaching for a handful of years, right? Like they keep learning and they keep trying to do better. So that was my first huge takeaway. Um, the second one was just hearing her talking about how they've created this program at Hope College to work with pre-service teachers. Um, I, Jeff, I, I feel like we've had these conversations about our pre-service experiences, some that were great and some that were not great. And it just sounds like they've, they've developed this really solid um, kind of like procedure or protocol so that the more master teachers can, can take on an active coaching role of the pre-service teachers, but also are not like dominating the conversation or informing them that this is how it has to be done. It sounds like it's such a symbiotic relationship between the two of them. I had two pre-service experiences. One was a like student assistant role mm -hmm. that was like a student teacher light. Like he never really took over the classroom. Right. And, and then my full on student teacher role. And I would say that in the one experience I had a great teacher to look at and and to know and to really see what the craft was like. And that helped me a lot going into my pure student teaching experience where I, I didn't really have a supportive mentor. But I think that the difference even from that first experience with Val or, or with uh, between Val's what Val offers is that it wasn't a true collaboration, mm -hmm. right? I didn't feel like a teacher from day one and I didn't feel like simultaneously thrown into the deep end of all the responsibilities of teaching while at the same time feeling like Val had my back because she wasn't leaving it all on me in, in my pre-service experiences it was either you were watching or you were doing, but there was no collaboration. And I think that that's highly, highly valuable. Maybe the, the of most value coming out of what Hope College and, and what Val is doing with um, uh, the opportunity that they see in the, these relationships. Val clearly was excited to have pre-service teachers, not just to give back, not just to support young educators because she's really good at it, but she sees it to feed her own uh, professional development, mm -hmm. right? And that kind of, like you said, uh, symbiosis is invaluable. You can't even measure what that's doing. It's interesting that you got into that professional collaboration because that's exactly 
what I was thinking about as you were starting to talk about how they're preparing them for, you know, like you said, it's tough to be in a classroom by yourself for the first time and to kind of figure everything out. And I think that the more we can foster and encourage collaboration and sharing best practices and coaching, you know, even if it's not like a formal instructional coaching relationship, if teachers can create these more informal PLCs to work to try to coach each other, it's just going to be better for our students and better for our schools, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like that brings us to a good time to ask our campfire cue. Hello there. Today, we want to talk to you about asking questions because asking questions is a good way to find out about things like, uh, like cookies. Yeah, observe. I feel like talking to Val and kind of sharing our own stories about our student teaching experience has led us to just this curiosity and wondering about what other people's student teaching experience was like. So if you want to win a free ticket to day camp, our summer conference, we would love for you to leave us a message on our Google voice line. So we're, we're probably not going to pick up. I don't know, Jeff, maybe you'll pick up an answer. Um, but we I just love you to I'm usually screen. Usually it. don't. Yeah, I figure, <laughs> um, but we'd love for you to leave us a message. And that number is six, one, six, nine two nine zero zero eight five and just share with us what was your student teaching experience like and again if you're the lucky winner we've got a free ticket for day camp um, on july 24th coming at you and um, like you took care of so much there um and you can find out more about day camp at daycamp18.eventbrite.com and you can buy your tickets there too, right? Yeah, tickets are there. There's more info about our keynote speaker and the awesome um, educators that we'll have sharing with you throughout the day. But also just one of my favorite pieces of day camp is the opportunity for teachers to collaborate and to have great discussions about the things that are going on in their classrooms and sharing those out Um with, with teachers outside of just their school. So I think we, we try to be really intentional about providing that time and that space for teachers to do that. So we'd love to have you join us this year. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast, hopefully. And also check out Podcast PD in the Professional Learning Portal. Erin and I really enjoy interacting with uh, all the learners in there on a deeper level, um, scrutinizing our words uh, and uh, remixing them and, and creating new beautiful uh, uh, demonstrations of their learning. And uh, it is sketch season. So, uh, you know, getting those sketches for that course is a, is a nice bonus as well. Yeah. Jeff, you um, saying that makes me realize too, that we've talked about like a lot of links um, in books and other podcasts and things like that. And all of that stuff is available in the show notes. So if you're driving or washing dishes or going for a run, whatever you're doing where you can't write something down, just check out the show notes and there'll be lots of great links in there for you. Yeah. 
So it's flooding up there, right? Or is the no flooding, flooding subsided? No, that was a one-day thing. It's gone. There's a lot of sand on the road because across the street is the um, golf course. But the flooding has subsided. The sand traps well, good. are just now um, relocated on the road itself. So. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the pictures you sent were worrying. Yeah. No. All good. Well, you have a great rest of your day, and we'll we'll talk next Sounds time. Good. Thanks. You too.